So, Anissa, have you made any New Year's resolutions for 2019? Absolutely. One of them, which I know kind of sounds a little bit counterintuitive, is to take more breaks where I do nothing because I'm really bad at doing nothing. That's and a I, great resolution. I feel like I always have to be doing something more productive. And what happens is that I just get stressed and it's not a fun way to live. And I get less productive as a result of not doing nothing. Yeah. Doing not like taking breaks to do nothing is a fantastic resolution. Exactly. But anyway, I know that New Year's resolution get a lot of bad rap, but I love thinking up of goals that I want to accomplish, whether it's, you know, to do with my personal life, professional life, and financially as well. And I just really love starting the year with an idea of what I really want to focus and drill down on. Kate, do you typically make resolutions? We are perfectly suited to do this podcast because I am a lifelong New Year's resolution maker as well. I love lists. I love setting goals. I love learning. I love reflection. We're such nerds. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In fact, this is how this is how deep it goes. I have little lists from childhood where I forced my mom and my brother to make their to write down their New Year's resolutions. Oh my god! <laughs> um, my brother, I would like go over his shoulder and be like, "You should maybe write be nicer to your sister. That would be a good resolution to make." <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, okay," but none of that means that I'm any better at keeping my New Year's resolutions. Unfortunately, I've changed my strategies over the years from like overly ambitious goals like be a better person to focusing on like just one thing a month and then there are some times that I go back in December and I look at what I've promised myself 12 months before and I happily find that I accomplished some of it but usually it's not because I stayed focused on my resolutions Uh, like most people I tend to forget my resolutions by February. Well, you're not alone and you're in good company. About half of Americans make New Year's resolutions but apparently only 8% keep them all year. Only 8%. I feel like there's like two ways to look at that statistic. So you can either be like, well, I'm likely to fail, so why should I even bother? Or you could be like, well, how do I get in that 8%? I think I'll always be in a lifelong quest to get into the 8%. Yes, we are, <laughs> we are total 8%ers or aspiring 8%ers. Aspiring 8%ers. So that's what this is going to be all about, how to get in that 8%. Welcome back to Secrets of the Most Productive People a productivity podcast where we try to figure out how to work smarter instead of harder and dissect exactly how to get it all done. I'm Fast Company Assistant Editor Anissa Pupasari Horton. And I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor Kate Davis. In this first episode of our second season, we are going to figure out how to get in that 8% by finding the answer to the question, how can you keep your New Year's resolutions? Let's first take a step back and talk about why we even make New Year's resolutions in January. It's pretty arbitrary. There is nothing really different about January 1st versus, say, March 18th. If you want to accomplish something or change some habit or behavior, you don't need the excuse or permission to start on a Monday or a January 1st or any sort of particular day. Yeah, and there's not really any reason why you have to pick January to set goals, right? I mean, we've written about how there are other times of the year, like June, when things slow down and you can reassess what you want to accomplish, or even September, when you're just kind of in that back-to-school mindset. But I think so many people like the symbolism of a new calendar year. Yeah, it's true. Even if it's like all in our heads, there's a kind of hopeful feeling about New Year's and a degree of magical thinking, too, that you can count down to the strike of midnight and leave behind the mistakes of the past year and become a better version of yourself with a fresh 365 days ahead of you. 
I think, too, the fact that so many people continue to make New Year's resolutions, even though they probably have no track record of success, actually says something kind of beautiful and hopeful, if not a little delusional, about the human spirit. Like, we want to believe in change. At least that's what I tell myself when my yoga classes become suddenly packed every January. Ah, yes, the New Year's rush. I also see a lot of people at my gym on January the 3rd, and then literally two weeks later, (laughs) not even waiting until February, two weeks later, they almost seriously disappear, and at 7 (laughs) a.m., there's like two people at the gym. Yeah, Um, oh, for sure. I think it's also advertising because now we see so many products like planners and apps that are targeted at keeping your New Year's resolution. So I imagine that even people who might not want to make New Year's resolution feel almost pressured into making them. So before we can talk about how to keep our resolutions, we should talk about the reasons why so many people fail. First, most resolutions are way too vague. I mean, the top three resolutions for 2018 were eat healthier, get more exercise and save more money. I mean, okay, those are all attainable goals, but they're not realistic. They lack any detail on what it takes or what it even means to get there. I used to set vague general goals like that too. I think I I mentioned like be a better person, like, you know, those sorts of like big things. And like, like we said, like, how are you going to eat healthier? What exactly does that mean? Does it mean cooking meals at home every night? Does it mean eating a vegetable with every meal? Does it mean cutting sugar out completely? If you don't define exactly what you hope to do or want to do, how in the world can you ever do it? Yeah, on the other side of that, though, if you make your goal too difficult, even if it's specific, like, say, run five miles every morning when you've never run a mile in your life, then you're just setting yourself up to fail Mm -hmm. because you might not do it one morning because you don't feel well or the weather's bad and then you're just like, oh, well, I already failed, so I might as well just give up on the whole resolution altogether. Yeah, and that's, like, a way too ambitious one, too. Like, five miles every morning, like, straight away. Yeah, exactly. Um, So... I think that it's important to make your resolution a small step from a habit you already have or either move up in smaller steps so you don't start something straight away with something this like kind of insurmountable challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, a good example is when I really wanted to change my eating habits and I was like, I'm going to cut out sugar and carbs for my diet. Ugh. Well, they lasted about two weeks and then I went like, on like a bagel and potato chips binge. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, rather than just like thinking that I'm going to cut them off completely because that's unrealistic and also that's not a great way to live personally. Um, I love sugar and carbs in yes. small doses. Sugar and carbs are like 95% of my diet. I mean, you know, sometimes you just need comfort if food. I, if I cut them out, I would not eat anything. But yes, you go ahead. Yes. Yeah, and I was just saying, I'm just going to start reducing them or eliminating them from certain meals so that mm-hmm. maybe rather than having sugar and carbs three meals a day, I'd only have them like a little bit at dinner or a little bit at lunch, you know. Um, and I found that a less restrictive approach helped me cut back on it significantly because I didn't crave it as much because I was allowing myself just a little bit every day. And so did you end up reaching that goal of cutting them out completely by like slowly cutting it back? Or did you change your goal to be not cutting them out completely, just having less? Uh, having less. Yeah. Because, and, Seems more I had, realistic. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And like I had, you know, I had such such little amount that I don't really think it would have made that much difference. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I know the keto obsessed might disagree with me, but. <laughs> I mean, it's better. It's one of those like, um, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Exactly. You know, yeah, like, like it's, you, better. it's better to to do a method that's obtainable for you than to just like fail completely. Yeah, exactly. And it's better to have less sugar than more sugar. Yes. You know, <laughs> less sugar is still better. Theoretically, I suppose you're right. 
I think another big reason that resolutions fail is that many of us make them about things that we feel like we should do. So things like be healthier and exercise more and save money. Those are all like the classic things that we know that we're supposed to do. But if you don't have like a real motivating factor or a purpose, then it's likely that you won't stick to it. It's like, yeah, this is something I should like probably do. Like being healthy is good. But you like hate running. You're not going to run. Yeah. And that relates to one of the things that really helps people keep their resolution. They need to have a strong why. Like if you list why you're doing what you're doing and what you don't like about your life right now, then you kind of always have a reference point and remind yourself when things get tough, why you're running five Mm -hmm. miles a day or why you're eating a salad instead of a burger at lunch every day. For sure. Why is much stronger than why not. So let's talk about some of the other ways that people can keep their resolutions. We've covered New Year's resolutions a lot on Fast Company. For instance, writer Stephanie Voza did an article a year ago titled Six Secrets of People Who Keep Their New Year's Resolutions. Make a resolution around a small change. So rather than something big like become more organized and focused, again, like what the hell does that mean? You could focus on doing one little thing every day a week, like start listening to audiobooks on your commute or delete a time-sucking app from your phone. The idea is that if you start by making like these small steps consistently, they'll add up to a bigger change. One teeny little thing every day. At the end of the year, you'd have you have done 365 things. Like, that's a lot. Another tip from the article, you're more likely to stick with a resolution if you're held accountable. So having a regular check-in with people who will hold you accountable if you don't make progress or meet your goals can help you stick to it. I mean, of course, this only really works if you're the kind of person who responds to accountability. There are people who just don't deal with accountability yeah. and they need to find some other system. Sometimes having some sort of external accountability like I signed up to do a full marathon and downloaded a program and technically no one kept me accountable just like my pre-recorded running coach that Mm -hmm. tells me that I need to be running faster but like you know it's if I chose to stop it wasn't like they were gonna be like oh I saw you I'm disappointed in you yeah Yeah. exactly but then I don't know something the fact that I get a tick when I've completed the Mm -hmm. designated workout motivated me to keep going um, and yes, I did run that marathon. I know, that's amazing you ran a marathon. But I think like part of it, I mean, it's amazing that you ran a marathon. I think it's also like you get you had an assignment too because you yeah. signed up for the marathon, so you had to do it. I know, I paid like $150. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not letting that $150 go to waste. Yeah, and that's exactly <laughs> it. And that's it's worked for me too. And, you know, I think like I've also heard like kind of an extreme version of this. And you kind of like alluded to it with that you paid money for this marathon yeah. <laughs> um, is that if you don't have a person that you are accountable for, you can make yourself financially accountable. So there's two different ways that I've heard to do this. So say that you're giving up smoking. You can say that you'll take all the money that you would have spent on cigarettes and put it towards a vacation. So then that's a big reward. You have like a couple thousand dollars, you know, for a vacation. Or some people uh, would be more, this is a little more extreme, I think, um, and maybe even more motivating. If you don't reach your goal, then you have to donate a certain amount of money to a political cause that you are completely against. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, the, the like holding yourself accountable in this this very tangible way. I mean, the first one sounds way nicer, yeah. but I have a feeling that like I'll probably be motivated to do the second one cuz like know, fear depend- and negativity just kind of affects us. Yeah, it depends so much more. depends on how passionately you feel about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So since we're listing ways to keep your new year's resolution, this is a good place to introduce a new segment we're trying out in season 2. We're calling it You Might Want to Write This Down. This is where we'll spell out a few quick tips from our research that you can take away and hopefully put into action in 2019. Okay, so you might want to write this down. Press pause, get your pen ready. Here we go. 
Three quick tips for keeping your New Year's resolutions. Number one, find your motivation. List why you want to do this particular thing. Do you want to save money because you want to buy a house? Do you want to get a promotion because you want to change the way the company does something in particular? Number two, make failure more painful. If you want to start exercising more, sign up for a race. It doesn't have to be a marathon, but any kind of race. Uh, if you want to save money, set up a direct debit from your paycheck into a savings account. Number three, create a plan for dealing with setbacks. So setbacks will happen. And when you face a setback, you're likely to end up throwing in the towel completely. So just know that you will think you're going to fail. But if you have a plan and a system for how you get on track, you just follow it and then you'll be back on track with no time. Those are just some of our ideas. But since sticking to New Year's resolutions is something that literally 92% of us struggle with, we want to get some expert advice. So today we'll be joined by Charles Duhigg, a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter and author of best-selling books, The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business, and Smarter, Faster, Better, Secrets of Being Productive in Life and Business. Charles, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. First question has to be, what is your personal practice around New Year's resolutions? Do you make them? How, do you keep them? What my wife and I will do, and we actually spend a couple of days doing this, is we sit down and we try and figure out, first of all, what are our goals for the coming year? And then once we have those goals, then we start coming up with plans for them, what people usually call New Year's resolutions, but which according to science are much better if it's an actual goal and then a plan about how to achieve that goal as opposed to just a resolution or some big aspiration. That's interesting because Anissa was saying that this is kind of what she does is makes the like steps to reach the goal part of the the resolution rather than just like, I'm going to run a marathon. It's like, I'm going to sign up to do this. So you make the steps part of the, the resolution itself. That's exactly right. So, so there's a couple of things that we know about New Year's resolutions, right? The, the first is that they actually work. There's some work done by, a, or some research done by a woman named Katie Milkman, Catherine Milkman at the University of Pennsylvania. And she looked at things like New Year's resolutions. And what she found was that if you have a certain time of year where there's kind of this, this anticipation and expectation of making plans, then then that actually increases the chances that you'll get something done, right? It, there's nothing magical about January 1st, except that there's all this cultural significance around it. And that helps people find the space and the motivation to change. But then the question becomes, okay, so if you do want to change, if you are motivated, how should you actually come up with a plan that's going to work? Well, there's actually a lot of science behind this. The first thing is to be very clear on specifically what your goal is. And and the goal should be something, you know, kind of big. What psychologists refer to as stretch goals. Come up with something. It's it's one thing to say I'm going to run a mile. That's not really that ambitious. But it's okay to say, for instance, I'm going to train for and run a marathon, and that marathon is going to take place on November 2nd in this city, right? So you have a, a specific stretch goal. But then how do you make that stretch goal into a plan? Well, there's actually lots of systems. And one of my favorites is this thing called SMART goals, right? And it's the reason it's called SMART goals is because it's an acronym. It's easy to remember. What it says is, look, if you have a goal, then you want to specifically figure out what you want to get done, right? Not just run a marathon, specifically figure out what marathon you're going to run. That's S. And then M, come up with some measurement. Like for instance, are you going to run three miles a week to get ready for it? Find some way to measure, to actually put some type of measurement against this plan to make it realistic. A is, is it achievable? Like, like what do you need in your environment in order to actually get this done? 
if it's training for a marathon, then one of the things you're going to need is like some space in your schedule, right? Maybe you need to give up that pottery class so you have more time to go running, or maybe you need to go buy some new sneakers or find a running group, right? That makes this more achievable. That's the A in smart. And then R is realistic. Like take a second and make sure you're choosing something that's not going to be so out of reach that it's disappointing. If you've never run before, a marathon might be a bad way to start. Maybe you want to start with a half marathon. And then T is a timeline. When is this race going to happen? What are you going to do each week leading up to this race? And again, there's nothing. The reason it's called a smart goal is just because it helps you remember these five things, S-M-A-R-T, to sort of prod you to come up with a plan. Because this is what we know. If you break it down into an actual plan, your odds of achieving that are much, much higher. Yeah, I mean, I can attest, I recently just ran my first marathon and going from half to full was definitely a lot of work. So. Yeah, and let me just say, as someone who runs half marathons and does not run marathons, a half marathon is a very, very hard and nice amount of running. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you're you're going to get in great shape with a half marathon. You're just going to make yourself miserable with a marathon. So, <laughs> so go ahead. Let that, that R, that realistic part of SMART goals, let that guide you to the half marathon. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So you've also talked a lot about the habit loop, which is the key to you know, making sure that you do follow through on the plan. For our listeners who might not be familiar with what the habit loop is, can you explain how they yeah, work sure. in practice? Absolutely. What it comes from is that there was this basic insight in in psychology and neurology about 15 years ago that a habit is not actually one thing. It's really three things, right? There's a cue, which is a trigger for an automatic behavior to start. And then there's the routine, which is the behavior itself. That's what we think of when we say the word habits or, or what Aristotle and Oprah talk about when they talk about habits. But then finally, there's a reward. And that reward is how your brain learns to remember that pattern for the future. Every habit in our life has a reward. And so if you want to start creating new habits, you have to think not only about the behavior, you have to think about those cues and rewards, right? So let's go back to the running example because exercise is a big New Year's resolution. So studies show that if you want to start exercising, one of the best things you can do is, first of all, choose a cue, right? Put your running shoes next to your bed or lay your running clothes out or even better, Plan on meeting your friends for a, a quick jog after work every Tuesday evening. And then before you even put on your running shoes, figure out what reward you're going to give yourself. Is it going to be a nice long shower? Is it going to be a piece of chocolate? Is it going to be a smoothie that you're really looking forward to? And when you get that reward, really let yourself enjoy it. Right. Well, our brain pays attention to what we give ourselves rewards for, and it makes those things easier. So don't feel guilty for eating the piece of chocolate. Let yourself enjoy it. But what's interesting is if you compare that to how most people start exercising, I mean, think about the last time, you know, you, you started a new exercise routine. You like wake up in the morning and you go for a run and then you get home and, and you're late for work. And so you like rush through the shower and you're anxious and you get to your desk and you're all sweaty. You're basically punishing yourself for exercising and your brain pays attention to that punishment. It will make it harder for you to exercise next time. I just want to let you know that Anissa was nodding so <laughs> vigorously her headphones <laughs> fell off. <laughs> I mean, I kept up with it though. I just had to get, I had to train myself to get up earlier. <laughs> right, right. I'm just kind of thinking ahead, right? But I guess that's kind of the point again with these New Year's resolutions is there's a thousand ways to make it hard on yourself to do something new. 
there's one way to make it easier on yourself, which is to sit down, come up with a plan, and really think through what are the missteps that I might occur that I might encounter along the way. How do I think about and try and avoid those before they occur? Because that's going to make it much easier for the habit loop to take hold. I wonder too, you know, when we're talking about New Year's resolutions, it does seem kind of arbitrary that it's a year, you know, like, is there a better, like, should we look at goals in shorter terms? Are there certain goals that are better to look in shorter terms? Are you maybe more successful if you make a New Year's resolution for the next three months or six months instead of for the next year? So this is some of the work that Katie Milkman has done. Like, like why are New Year's resolutions powerful? And it turns out it's because oftentimes we kind of need events to help us see things in different ways. Like here's a good example. So today's actually my birthday. Every year on my birthday, I give money to charity. And I've been tracking since I started this about four or five years ago, I actually give way more money now to charity than I did before I started this tradition. And the reason why is because starting in November, I started thinking to myself like, oh, birthday's coming up. I got to start choosing the charities. When we have this sense of like – eventness, right? Mm-hmm. It makes it much easier to act and makes you more enthusiastic and more motivated to actually do things, to change. Now that does not mean that the goal that you set should be a goal that can only be accomplished over a year, right? Again, this gets back to like why what we should really be setting is new year's plans or new year's short-term and long-term goals, right? But but what's important is that like you come up with something, some new habit that has a plan associated with it and that you start that actually pretty soon. I feel like another thing that comes up a lot is having a particular why, right? It's like, why do you want to have, why do you want to run a marathon? Why do you want to save money? How do you know when that why is a good reason or motivator or when that why is not a good reason or motivating factor? Well, there's a lot of research about this, and you're exactly right. One of the things that we know about motivation is that if you if you can tie something to your to your deeper goals or aspirations or values, then it's going to be much much easier to to motivate for it. If you say like, look, like I want to lose 20 pounds because you know I just had my first kid, and I want to demonstrate for them like how to be healthy. That's actually hugely motivating. And and the way I think about this is actually when I was reporting Smarter, Faster, Better, there's a whole chapter on motivation. And I was talking to this one researcher who's an MD, PhD, right? This guy works at, at Oxford. He does cancer research. And he says that the thing he hates most is grading students' papers. He says, okay, look, if I grade these students' papers, then the university can charge them tuition dollars. And if the university can charge them tuition dollars, then they can pay for my lab. And if they're paying for my lab, then I can do my research. And if I do my research, I'll hopefully cure cancer someday. So by grading these students' papers, I'm curing cancer. That's amazing, yeah. Right. right. It's also ridiculous. Yes. (laughs) And by the way, this guy is an MD, PhD, right? Of all the people who need motivation to help, he would be last on your list. But that's actually why he's an MD, PhD, is he knows that in order to get himself to motivate, he needs to find a way to tie this small mundane activity to something that really matters to him. Yeah, I think that's really important. We've talked on the show before about personality types and how like other people have other things that motivate them. So I think that's really interesting, like framing it by what motivates you. Yeah. And and I think people know what matters to them, right? Not what you think should matter to you. Yeah. What actually matters to you. Those little connections we make in our mind, they actually matter a lot in generating the motivation and enthusiasm we need to make a change. 
I'm just thinking my son got a haircut yesterday and he used to hate going and getting his haircut, but he gets a lollipop at the end. And the mm-hmm. whole time he's just like, I'm getting a lollipop. And he's talking about what flavor and he's like doing this thing that he hated doing, but he knows like there's a reward at the end. And I think that never goes away. That works for adults. Yeah. yeah that definitely works for, I mean, when I had to do my long runs, I always had to plan it around like a bagel shop and so <laughs> I was like I'm gonna have like carb heavy yeah <laughs> like creamy you need it exactly yeah. exactly how do you motivate yourself when unpredictable setbacks derail you from your goal so you've done you know you've done all the things like set up your exercise clothes the night before and make sure that your environment is good but then like say something unexpected happens how do how do people get back on track yeah and, and I think the first thing to to realize is that Unexpected things are going to happen. And what's interesting is that it turns out that those unexpected things, people who anticipate those unexpected things, or at least are aware of them, they're much more likely to change. So there's been some research done by a guy named James Prochaska, who's at the University of Rhode Island. And in particular, what he looked at is how do people quit smoking? And he found that on average, people who smoke, they quit seven times before they actually stop smoking. And so there's this kind of interesting question, like, what's so magical about the seventh time? Well, what Prochaska found is that oftentimes when people give up cigarettes, the, the first couple times they give them up, something will happen in their life. And, like, the first instinct during that crisis is to pick up that pack of cigarettes and start smoking again. When they've quit about three or four times, something starts to happen, which is they start to recognize the pattern. And they say, you know what? Something is going to happen in the next month that's going to make it really hard for me to continue to quit smoking. And so they start figuring out, like, failure is likely how do i how will i recover from that failure by anticipating that failure is going to happen by by expecting that failure is going to happen they make it much more likely that they're going to eventually succeed in order to change you don't just have to say like man i hope that a setback doesn't occur you have to say of course a setback is going to occur what are you going to do in response to that setback that means it doesn't derail your change completely. You know, we talked about personalities and some people do that and they still beat themselves up when things don't go according to plan. So what advice do you have for those type A people who are always harsh on themselves and even if they've done all the preparation, it's that mental thing that they find it hard to get back on track? Well, I think that's a habit, right? Mm-hmm. And so the question is, what reward is it providing? Like, and I do this too. Everyone does this, right? Like sometimes like I'll come home and I'll be like talking to my wife and I'll tell her about all the things I did wrong that day. And it's, it's almost like I'm a masochist, right? Like I just want to like relive all of the like mistakes that I made, but that's because there's a reward there. It makes me feel, it makes me feel like maybe I won't make those mistakes again. Maybe I'm going to avoid them next time. And I need to give myself a reward when I actually do things well particularly American culture is kind of masochistic. We like, we're stoic. We act as if we should be able to, to succeed without rewards, but our brain has developed over millions of years to love rewards. That's why we love chocolate. (laughs) Take advantage of that, right? Make that negative experience into a positive one. I like that reward reframing. Well, I hope you're rewarding yourself today on your birthday for the <laughs> habit that you've built of, of donating to charity. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Take care, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. 
So I'm feeling very New Year's inspired and feeling that hopefulness of the beginning of the year. And hopefully we can inspire our listeners to make some great New Year's resolutions and stick to them if they haven't already. So we've talked to some of our Fast Company colleagues about what their New Year's resolutions are. I love New Year's resolutions. The number one thing that I can remember and I still continue to do this day is to say no more often because there's really no more FOMO when you get to my age. New Year's resolutions are wishes that we usually don't follow through with. If I tell myself that I set goals, it feels a bit more serious than I tend to follow through. I actually do an end of the year wrap up look ahead email with all my girlfriends. I like to make the first goal really achievable to start off the year with a win. I've taught myself to do a bunch of things over my life, but I've never been like, oh, I'll start that Monday. And there's no like secret recipe to it. I think it's just putting in the work. I don't set official New Year's resolutions. I would just call it a habit I'm trying to quit is apologizing. Last year I tried, but I didn't call it a New Year's resolution. I just said in January, I'm going to start reading more books. Every year I do some sort of reckoning with myself and I always land on trying to become a morning person and in 15 years of making this resolution it has not happened (laughs) so this year I'm really contemplating just like making the resolution not to feel guilty and just accepting myself for who I am And that's it for this week's episode of Secrets of the Most Productive People. What are your New Year's resolutions? Have you come up with any tricks to keep your resolutions? Let us know using the hashtag FCMostProductive. Join us in two weeks when we'll be talking about the four-day work week. And in the meantime, you can also find links to more articles on how to keep your New Year's resolutions and the three quick tips we mentioned in the You Might Want to Write This Down segment in the show notes for this episode. And you can follow Fast Company on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And don't forget to listen to our other podcast, Creative Conversation. Secrets of the Most Productive People is produced by Shannon Burner, who's kept her New Year's resolution of taking out all my likes and ums that I didn't even realize I was saying. And taking out my uh uh-huh. 